Ladies and gentlemen, if you are in the vicinity of London and you have nothing to do in November, may I suggest the London Jazz Festival, which is going on for two weeks in the middle of the month. I'm going to hit the fuck out of some shows. <laughs> in the most public game, it's Chuck D. Bring the noise. From the Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, man, I'm just checking out my November. I'm just like, you know what? It's looking a little, uh, it's looking a little dry. So, uh, you know, I just thought, hey, man, it's a two-week freaking festival going on uh, across uh, across London in several locations. So, why not? You know, why the hell not? And I did say this. I, I, I said this at some show earlier in the year, especially around the time the vaccines came through. I was just like, you know, I'm I'm trying to I'm easing myself back into it. Yeah, obviously during the summer, right? I said I was easing myself back into it, right? You know, I did the reimagine uh, thingy. I went to Maiden Voyage. You know, what I mean, just just you know, small stuff. You know, they they weren't too they weren't too crazy. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, now I'm, and you know, I'm not saying the crowds, uh, for the, for the shows I'm going to go to get a hit up are going to be, you know, mad large, right? It's, they're, jazz, they're jazz shows right? and they're not going to be too much. Um, but ugh, I, I just, I just need to hit up more shows, you know what I mean? I need to just get out some more, uh, get out more, qu- uh, in, in the next, uh, in the next month, you know, I just want to hit it up for, for, for a while. Um, you know, so I've got four days planned, I'm gonna cop them soon, not right, I haven't copped them yet, but I'm gonna cop them in a couple of days, um, and yeah man, I'm just, I'm looking hella forward to it, I, I really do hope I, <laughs> I hope I'm not speaking this all up and then just not going, um, but yeah, I, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try and hit at least, at least you know, at least two of them, uh, but I wanna hit all four, like, four I wanna hit up, and uh, honestly guys, there are so many, there's so many good shows about, there were a couple where I was just like, I had to make a choice. You had to make a choice between this and this, and I'm like, oh, damn. Um, so you know, I had to make some choices, but I've got, I've got a solid four, uh, and I, I, you know, really hope, uh, really hope to hit them up. So uh, let's fingers crossed on that front. Um, and yeah, man, it's near the end of October. It's gonna be in the end of October in a couple of days. Um, I'm recording the 27th. It's obviously dropping in the 28th. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy. I can't, I can't wait for the month to end. Get get some uh, new horizons, uh, new 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 stuff going in. Um, so yeah, man, I'm just I'm feeling confident. Uh, you know, by next week, it'll be I'll be just doing different stuff, and I'm I'm here for that new beginnings, all that. Um, but while we're here, still got a show to do. So we have uh, f- two film and TV, sports, and a life top uh, segment for you guys for this episode. And uh, yeah, four minutes before we begin, email to the IG. You just got to link all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go through the articles for yourself and support the writers that make this show possible. But with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where, on a film set, Alec Baldwin accidentally discharges a firearm, wounding director Joel Souza and killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Um, yeah, I just uh, that 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 shit blew my mind to be honest. Just to think about, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of testimony going about right now as it pertains to like you know the, I guess the um the the the, the environment of below line workers. Um, you know there was recent talks about them striking. Um, so, you know, this is just added fuel to the fire. And, uh, yeah, man, so that's just going to keep continuing until, you know, people get some answers on that front. Uh, Donald Trump is heading up a new social network called Truth Social, with it with all caps, TRUTH. Uh, TRUTH. That's, that's, all, that's, that's all I hear when I hear he says it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here for that. Do it. <laughs> do it, bro. Do it. Just, just, make it. just make your own Facebook. Go on, bro. Just, just see what happens. I'll just... I I I, can't, I mean I should be serious about it because you know it might just um be a you know a cesspool for you know just stoking up more bullshit, um but I, I don't know man I just I just like seeing him fail I just really 
There's some people who just enjoy seeing fail. And uh, he is definitely one of those. He is definitely high up the list. Um, David Beckham is reportedly hosting the 22 World Cup in Qatar, netting him a whopping £150 million. Because you don't have enough money, clearly. You're clearly skint. So, yeah, you, you did this under duress, right? I wish. But here we are. The slippery slope continues. Uh, UK minimum wage rises from £8.91 to nine fifty an hour. Um, you know, I feel like um, all I've heard in terms of this uh, is my mother screaming into my ear going like, I only get paid 10 And it's like... And, you know, she she trains for she trains for her stuff, right? She's got certifications, that kind of stuff. So, you know, if she feels like her stuff should be higher than minimum wage, right? Um and it's it's just that's all I hear when I when I when I mention minimum wage, it's her barking that she has slightly above minimum wage. Um and she probably shouldn't. Um so yeah, that's, that's all I get in my head. But you know, we had that and the also the the Wilson budgets come through, so you know, um encouraging people to drink, which is just a fascinating uh, mindset to go through, but here we are. Um, and lastly, ahead of Barbados's Barbados becoming a republic, uh, Miss Sandra Mason is elected their first president. So shout to Miss Mason and big up Barbados. Um, getting rid of the queenie. Um, right, so let's hop on to uh, let's get this life topic in. I already do have it loaded. Why do I? Why have I? I've loaded it up twice for no reason. Um, all right, so this is uh, basically, uh, you know, climate change kind of uh, talk. Right? I'm just trying to have a chat with you guys about, let's talk about climate change, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously COP26 is coming through uh, for the, from in a couple of days for the next, I don't know, I think it's two weeks um, in Glasgow. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, that's just going to be going on. There's going to be a lot of uh, uh, announcements about certain deals, you know, government, uh, but politically, you know, countries signing shit probably, and uh, you know, just fingers crossed that they actually fulfil them. You know what I mean? And you know, hope they're actually substantial and can happen quickly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I saw this. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really found an article that kind of like gets the overall, gets my overall feeling towards everything. You know what I mean? So um, until I find that, I did find this instead. Um, so this is kind of um, a bit of a specific uh, um, shot at certain uh, certain type of people, um, which is very obvious from the title. It's called uh, "No One Is Waging War on Motorists," but maybe we should be. Um, this is by John Elledge uh, via the New Statesman, um, and yeah, I just found this interesting, right? Because I, I, I was I was I saw this uh, I saw this headline, and I was just like, we don't we don't wage war on motorists enough, do we? You know, I saw I saw him before I read right. I saw a um, I saw a, I saw a video today, um, of this guy. Um, obviously, uh, if you guys are aware of Insulate Britain, there's uh, basically these people that are very, um, they're being very hardcore with their uh, with their uh, environmental protesting. Um, they're not just you know gluing themselves to shit. They're literally their whole thing is about blocking roads and you know stopping cars from moving. And uh, motorists are not happy. Um, every day, you every day for the past I don't know, three weeks or so now, um, you have seen you have probably seen a video of uh, if you're in the UK anyway, you have seen a video of somebody getting out of their car and screaming at people, uh, screaming at these people on the floor, uh, dragging them off to the side. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, and today people, some people have escalated a little bit. I mean, I mean, there was a woman that tried to run some one of them over. Nearly, um, she basically like tried to push him out of the way with her car. So that may have been illegal. Um, but uh, yeah, so this guy basically got out of his car and squirted ink into their face, like just straight up ink. I'm like, bro, I get it, right? You know, you're in your car, you're using that for transportation, right? It's probably the morning. You ain't fucking with that. I can understand that, right? But you literally got you 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 literally saw these people come in, or you were waiting for these people. Or you're waiting for your moment to do this, and you sprayed ink in their face. I mean, uh, there's just a there's just a privilege there. It's uh, kind of just um, jarring me a bit. So let's get into this article with that with that in your mind. Last November, fourteen Tory MPs for the, from the Fair Fuel for UK Motorists and Hauliers All Party Parliamentary Group. Uh, wrote to Transport Secretary Grant Shapps uh, to explain about cycle lanes and also about the 25th of October 21 uh, expansion of UK, of London's ultra-low uh, emission zone, uh, which which with the attention to detail that drivers have required down to decades, 
They'd wrongly conflated with congestion zone charge, uh, charge zone, sorry. Uh, they were backed by the Road Haulage Association, uh, the Alliance of British Drivers, and Fairfield UK. Uh, I said UK with UK. Fairfield UK. Uh, a lobbying group with a definition of fairness, quote-unquote, that doesn't seem to get much beyond of paying less tax, uh, and whose frontman's house, uh, frontman's house, some joker, uh, recently marked as a pre- uh, petrol station on Google Maps in the middle of a petrol shortage. The letter was headed, quote, the uncalled for war on mo- on the motorist, unquote. The Transport Secretary's response history does, uh, does not re- record. What? The Transport Secretary's response history does not record. Okay, um, such a war has been uh, has been a feature of right wing mythology for decades, but it must be said is a funny sort of war since roughly eighty percent of the adult population can drive, and the sea and the side under siege seems to be making most of the running. Uh, many of the bold uh, plans to widen pavements or create cycle lanes as laid out uh, during the early months of the pandemic have been reversed if they have actually had uh, happened in the first place. In May 2020, Shaps did sprinkle a few million quid on improved public transport and cycling infrastructure, but this is a mere fraction of the one billion set aside to turn a single road, the A66 from Workington to Middlesbrough, into a dual carriageway. This year, with COP26 looming, the government is looking to make cars cleaner by replacing petrol vehicles with electric ones, but is doing nothing to discourage their use. Meanwhile, Andy Street, uh, the Tory mayor of the West Midlands, the ho- a mayor of the West Midlands, like the whole area? Mayor of the okay um, is poised to give the go-ahead to a 2.5 billion pound electric gigafactory on a site close to Coventry Airport. The location feels strangely symbolic since Coventry spent most of the 20th, much of the 20th century cheerily replacing the city's famed medieval architecture to build more roads, then blaming it on the Luftwaffe. <laughs> really? <laughs> there's a, there's another link for it, and I kind of want to get into it, but that's, I won't bother. Uh, at any rate. Uh, if there is a war on the motorist, it's a war that the motorist is winning, and doing so with the enthusiastic uh, backing of the British government. Uh, this is a shame because there are numerous compelling reasons to think that civilization built around the expectation that most of us have our own personal ton of metal to move around in kind uh, in was move around in was kind of a bad idea. To wit, uh, one, uh, they waste a lot of space. Look at Look how your nearest street, look how much room it sets size for cars, both moving and stationary, compared with the space it gives over, gives over to other forms of road user. Facts. Um, there is a reason for this. It takes a lot more space to, to move a given number of people by car than m- almost any other form of transport. And those cars spend the vast majority of their time just parked, taking up room. The arrival of self-driving cars will address the second of these problems, uh, though perhaps by less than uh, its advocates think. But it won't do anything uh, for the first. All those cars are taking up space that is not then available for anything else. <laughs> That's big facts. Honestly, we have a we have a driveway um, outside my place, like a two, you know, fits about two cars and a garage, but that's full of, uh, you know, stuff, um, uh, you know, could be, could be something else, I'm not saying I want a garden, I don't, I'm not really a fan of gardens, because you have to keep up foliage, I'm not here for that, um, and then when it's the summer, all the insects are there, and I'm just like, I'm trying to leave my house, please, I'd rather not have insects, uh, next to me, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I just feel, you know, I, just, I was literally imagining it, I was looking out the window, and I was like, imagine if the cars weren't there, and it was just like, one big walkway or something, I don't know, just, just a nice thought. Uh, number two, they waste a lot of energy. Let's imagine we do successfully manage to transition from fossil fuels, fossil, fossil fuels uh, to electric vehicles. Uh, that's quite, still quite a lot of energy being used to push large, shiny boxes about, which we could massively reduce uh, through great use of bikes, feet, and well-planned public transport. Number three, they pollute. Even if they're powered by batteries, creating the energy that goes into those batteries may well generate pollution. And even if it doesn't, cars kick up dust and, particula- and particulates just by moving around. The electric vehicle revolution will not suddenly make it desirable to live near a main road. Number four, look, car-free spaces are just nicer, okay? Have you ever been on a holiday to a medieval city in, say, Spain, and noted how their cities just seem uh, that bit better than ours? I bet you anything that if you think back to that city, you'll realise that one of the things that made it so nice was how large chunks of it did not include cars. Um, there's a bracket about all about Coventry. 
Anyway, let's say anyway, Coventry incidentally has recently been trying to undo much of the damage its town plans did in the 20th century. Sadly, nobody told the city of Westminster, which has blocked plans to pedestrianise Oxford Street and recently reopened Soho to traffic every evening. Oh well, our weather's not really cut off for pavement cafes anyway. And finally, number five, they kill people. Not all the uh, not all the time, of course, but frequently enough that it's surely at least worth mentioning. This is not a good thing. Undoing our dependence on cars isn't something uh, that can happen overnight. Too often, our homes, workplaces, and shops are too far apart, and little thought has been given uh, to how to get between them uh, without pu- private transport. And there are journeys and circumstances for which private cars will remain the best option, no matter what we do for our cities, uh, to our cities. Nonetheless. A world in which we are trying to reduce our dependence on cars is a world that would be healthier, cleaner, nicer and free up space for housing, business, parks or any of the other things that actually makes places work worth living in. No, there isn't a war on the motorist, but it's time about time there was. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's not, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a solid start to an argument here, you know what I mean? Um, in terms of how it's written, I feel, I feel like there could have been more, you know, um, you know if you're going to put it kills people, you know, throw a statistic on there, something like that. But I'm not saying this out of source. I'm here to critique on, like, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, what, what should have been in the article. But I think, it, I, th- I do think it makes a good start on the argument, you know. And I was, I was trying to think about it, you know, for, um, you know, since Southend is a city now, I don't know if you guys heard, but Southend's officially a city. Um, so I was trying to think about, you know, um, my city now. God, that's gonna get used. To, get taking you getting used to. Um, it's not a city, man. It's just not. It's just not. It has got the size, but I'm, I'm gonna call it because you know it is. Um, so yeah, you know, I was trying to think of my city, um, South End, and uh, you know, everything past. Um, it, it gets more suburban the further you get. Uh, you know, you sign the. Let's just say you sign the centre right, which is you know the high street right, and then you branch out. Um, you know, I don't really think that. Um, that there there are roads that cut inside um now and uh, cut inside a couple of times uh cut through it you know just for sake of transport and people moving from one side of the high street to the other side of the high street it just makes life easier right but then you get further and further out and obviously everything's just road after road after road after road house after house and after, you know just they're all just residential areas right but you know I do think of somewhere like Barcelona and the reason why I love just even looking at that place, I haven't been to it yet, but um, I, I just love looking at it architecturally because there are so many just no car like anything, you know. And when you when you mentioned that, when you mentioned like when you when you go to somewhere like Spain or you know anywhere, not anywhere in Europe, but you know in a lot of places in Europe, you know there are there are a few there are a lot of places where there's just no cars about, and it's just refreshing as shit to think about. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like we. Not, not, not have to, you know, uh, equip it wholesale because I just think that's impossible that we will. Um, I don't think we'll our tr- our public transport will be good enough um, for someone like my mum, for example, to not get to not, you know, whip it to her to her work. Um, unless I don't know, she had someone in a car on a carpool thing. That's like the that's the closest I can get to her not having a car. If someone just gave her a lift as part of a carpool, that's the only way I can think about it. Um, she ain't obviously going on electric scooter anytime soon. Um, she's, you know, she's, she ain't taking public transport. She has taken tra- public transport for, you know, some for the minute amount of time she hasn't had her car for whatever reason, and she hates it. Um, you know, she had public tra- she had to use public transport because um, she got a new car recently. She had to use public transport for like uh, two weeks or so, and she just she just started blistering up in her feet. I mean, part of part of her work is just standing up anyway, so it doesn't really help. But you know, she just her feet just started blistering, and she can't walk that far. Um, you know, she walks further than ten minutes, and then stands up for eight hours, and then has to walk back to you know, uh, bus station. You know, then you maybe that's when she maybe gets a seat. You know, depending on what the bus has, the bus capacity. So, um, you know, I'm not expecting her, for example, um you know, near retirement age, admittedly, but, you know, still, um, to, you know, be, be thinking about not having a car, um, but, you know, I think that Oxford Street thing is very unfortunate, I feel like that would have been very cool and very beneficial, um, you know, just, just incremental, incrementally, I think that was a benefit, um, but I don't think we're going to get those, I don't think we're going to get any of that kind of stuff, because, 
yeah, we're just we are just simply too reliant on um on our own private transport, and uh, that's highly unfortunate because I'd love a you know I I just don't you know cars just you know they fulfill the purpose, but you know I don't really find them that cool that cool at this point. Uh, when we're talking about climate, I'm just like you know. Is electric vehicles any better? Because you know, go talk to the go to the Congo and hit up them cobalt mines. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there, there's I'm I'm being it's it's a bullish argument, but it's an argument I feel like needs to be embraced in some fashion. So hop into our first of two uh, film and TV segments, and this one is all about Succession, uh, which has obviously come back recently uh, for a third season and has already been renewed for a fourth. Um, so you know, big ups to them, uh, big ups to those guys. Um, but you know, I, I've seen Succession, right? I saw the first season, I watched it entirely uh, in its entirety, and I couldn't get over something. There was there was something about it that really jarred me. And I think it's uh, I I think personally for me the reason why I didn't really I I liked it but there was something there was an essence about it at all times that I just didn't that just made me feel uneasy. Um, and I compare it I always compare it to a show like Billions, right? When I watch Billions, I'm fucking having a whale of a time, right? Because it's like you know just uber rich people, um, just you know dick swinging. That's all it is, right? It's it's it's, it's blunt but also super smart at the same time. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's very fascinating. It's very enticing. It really draws you in just from, you know, how greedy people are and just, like, how, you know, power shifts every episode and, you know, just how people act towards each other. It's just very fascinating, right? It's very energetic, right? But then I watch Succession and everyone's a bitch. Just, it's just, everyone's a... Like the right, they just they all are such pussies in in like different ways at different times, and then they and then they like flex their muscles at other people, and I'm just like, I just saw you be an absolute pussy towards your dad, and now you're chesting up. I don't like you, bro. You're fake as shit. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying like you know people in billions are you know the most real people ever, like in terms of you know authenticity, right? They lie, they cheat, right? Stuff like that, but. Ah, just these people. It's it's a childish element to it. It's like, like uh, uh, big up Brian Cox, man, amazing actor, right, legend. Um, but his character, right, um, Logan, I think it's I think it's Logan. Uh, um, the head the head Roy, right. He he's 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 the only like dude that just doesn't give a fuck on that show, right. Everyone else is like either trying to uh, trying to suck up to him or beat him, and. And and you know sometimes they trade, uh, they they switch lanes and it's like okay cool, and then they just bitch out and it's just like well what are we doing here then? Like there's no nothing happening. It just keeps going back to the status quo for me. Um, in that in character development sense, it just it doesn't work. Um, but I saw this article here uh, called uh, "Unreal People in a Hyper Real World: The Empty Rich of Succession." Um, this is by Mike Wright, spelled with a C, like microphone. Uh, via the byline uh, byline times and um, yeah, so I just wanted to get into this because um, I'm not sure if he'll uh, say the echo the exact same things to me. Um, I've, I've I've read a bit of it. I didn't want to read all of it um, just to you know get that freshness to, uh, that I like. Um, so let's just see here. Let's just see his arguments and then to see if it blends with whatever I'm saying and the reason why I don't like it because I'm trying to find a better reason not to like it because. Um, I can't. Ex- I don't think I've explained it properly. But anyway, let's get into this. The four most important words uh, in the HBO Skylandic series Succession make up the grotesquely dim- dismissive phrase used for those individuals hurt or killed in the unspooling Waystar Royco cruise line scandal. No real person involved. In the penultimate episode of season two, the central players in the Roy family, Murdoch analogs le- led by monstrous patriarch Logan, I did get it right, uh, which controls uh, Waystar Royco. Uh, and some of the intendant figures uh, in their corporate court gather to watch a TV interview with the whistleblower James Weisel. Weasel? I'm not sure. A journalist asks the Weisel, uh, what does incident NRPI mean? 
No real person involved, Weisel responds. That means it's a sex worker or a migrant worker, a foreign port, not involving a guest or a permanent member of staff, unquote. This is the moment at which Logan explodes in one of his now now familiar bouts of rage uh, and throws the remote to Kendall, the broken eldest son who oscillates between betrayal and desperate childlike request for validation. Exactly, exactly, those that, that kind of shit. But I know my is getting into something a bit more overall here, so... Let's continue. Uh, it is the return of that phrase, no real person involved in the f- season finale. Uh, this time coming out of Logan's mouth to describe the waiter killed by Kendall in a Chappaquiddick echoing incident accident uh, at the uh, end of season one that seems to trigger Logan's submissive son into action. Oh, that word, Chappaquiddick. Crazy word. Um, by the end of that episode, Kendall is on television, just as Wiesel was, declaring his father to be a, a malignant presence a bully and a liar, and that, quote, this is the day his reign ends, refusing to be the blood sacrifice Logan had demanded. And Logan, as he watches this unfold, once again mediated through TV screen, uh, we see a smile on his, on his face. His son, who he had earlier dismissed as not a killer, has wielded the knife and shown himself to be real. The divide between real people and the NRPI, uh, NRPI class is at the heart of succession. Each character, Logan included, has two faces. The human one that we occasionally glimpse in moments of extreme stress and pain, the wounded animal cornered, and the monstrous creation. Uh, Logan has made each of his uh, children the pitiful yet boasting Kendall, the sexually dysfunctional Roman, the outwardly strong but inwardly brittle Shiv, and the empty shirt Connor, uh, trying to buy himself uh, through a presidential run, as Roman says, quote, do you think that's like a natural progression for from whoever from never done anything never to most important job in the world? Like, could you maybe get a little experience at like a CVS? Unquote. Unreal. Uh, the New York Times television critic James Pony Ponywazik. I'm sure I've dropped I've dropped a bottle of that. Um, who has had the privilege of watching ahead uh, while the rest of us make do with an episode a week. Right, later in season three, Kendall writes, tells Roman, you're not a real person. It's a more stinging insult than the Baroque abuse the show tends to specialise in. One of the central themes of Succession is that despite Kendall's claim to his sort of girlfriend Nomi Pierce, the scion of another billionaire media family whose business Logan has been trying to acquire, that money is freedom. It is, as as the old cliche goes, a golden cage. The rich of Succession are beyond the careless people of F. Scott Scott Fitzgerald's Great Gatsby. Um, Good book, by the way. Good and good film. I like the film. It's actually a fun film. Uh, It's very glamorous. Uh, The rest of shout out Baz Luhrmann one time. Uh, get down, genius. Uh, the rest of uh, the that famous Fitzgerald quote reads: dot dot dot. They smashed up things and creatures, and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept to kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. Unquote. But where the Royals retreat to contains, uh, yeah, to contains only more mess. Money doesn't fix anything because it is so plentiful that it become there has become tokens in the game. Uh, to which Logan often ref- of, so often refers, is uh, it is all a game, and every member of the family, as well as anyone entering their orbit, becomes a player. Look how cousin Greg has gone from pot-smoking screw-up vomiting from the eyes of a theme park character suit to a soft-spoken blackmailer. Despite its of almost peerless dialogue, expensive production values, and excellent acting, Succession is, at its heart, a soap opera. It's a family story of cruelty, cliffhangers, and romantic betrayal. Yeah. But where it differs from the rich people suffering sagas of the 70s and 80s like Dallas and Dynasty, um, or even more high-end movie morality tales about money like Wall Street or The Wolf of Wall Street, is that there is nothing to be jealous of, no vicarious fun to gawp at. Everyone in succession is miserable. The only moments of joy come from someone else's suffering. And that's why, despite my love for the show, I suspect it's rather good, rather a good thing uh, for the real super rich. It leaves you thinking that to be so wealthy must feel like being under a genie's curse. The gold you wish for filling up your mouth until you choke. Succession needs you to feel pity for the Roy's, even at the most monstrous. But that pity should not extend to the real super rich because to them you're one of the NRPI class. There are no real people in succession, not just because it is fiction, but because it is because within its fictional world no one is capable of or allowed to be uh, their real self for long. All of the main characters trapped playing their roles in the chess game triggered by Logan's near-death experience in Season 1 are now forced to go on as the king refuses to fall. 
cannot be real people. Uh, the game requires them to play the roles within the roles. They are tragic figures, but it would be a mistake to believe that uh, the same of the rich people uh, who inspired them. Okay, so he, so he's okay, so he's making a parallel between the you know rich and okay. I mean, I see his point, right? And uh, and it actually has helped to for me to understand why people like the show so much. Um, because everyone's suffering, and I don't know, man. It's, it's that's a weird that's, that's that's a weird thing to think about now. Now that I'm thinking about, because if if you really wanted to, from the stuff I said I said already, you could easily say to me that I'm kind of indoctrinated in that sense, where I'm watching. You know, uh, I'm watching Billions and I'm fucking loving it because everyone's just like, you know, mad rich and they're getting richer and they're dick swinging, right? And, you know, my only comeback to that is it is also fiction, you know? And let's be real, um, these are probably closer to uh, the real people, uh, the real rich. Can, can we be real there? Not maybe the dick swinging, right? Obviously not the extravagant, well, actually, no, the extravagance, right? Um, but also, but I just mean emotionally, I think they're close, uh, they're emotionally closer to the people in billions than the people in succession. I think that that's me personally. Um, and that's, I guess my only argument towards why I prefer something like billions or why I prefer something like Wolf of Wall Street. You know what I mean? Something like that. It's just, it's, it's extravagant. It's, it's borderline comedic. Most it is comedic most of the time, right? It's very flash. Right, it's not trying. It's not trying to take itself seriously, right? Um, but Succession, I don't know. It's, it's jarring because I love the music. The music, mate. Nicholas Patel must be getting the blankest of checks, man. Just write a number, bro. I would literally do that to him. I'd be like, write a number. I need you to produce my to to do music score for my shit. Because oh my gosh, what a dream that would be. What a genius that guy is. Um, I love the music of Succession more than Succession show. And that's rare for me. That's that's rare. Like I don't I, I don't know if that, if that happens for you, any of you guys. If you see if you listen if you listen to a show a, a score and you're just like wow this is better than the show. Like, I don't know if you anybody has that. Um, but um, yeah, man, it's just I I, I guess it's, I don't like the human nature of it. It's weird because I don't find it I don't find it human. I find it just surreal. Like you know it says in the it says it said the article right. Uh, well. Yeah, so, well, I don't think he said surreal. I don't think he said, he said unreal people, right? So, you know, and I do, I find that unreal. I do, I find them unreal. I find the human natures of it very jarring. Um, they make an attempt to be normal, and it's just like, eh, yeah, okay, right. It's just, it's just weird. It's just, I don't know, I don't know. There, there's such a, there was a scene, I'll finish off here. There's a scene in Billions, right, near the end um, of the last episode, I think it's the last episode, um, it's uh, 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 Paul Giamatti's character is Chuck, Prince, and Chuck's daughter, and his daughter asks, and Chuck's daughter asks him for an omelet, and they're just there, right? And he's like, "Okay, sure." The whole, the, literally, the rest of the scene is just one camera shot of Paul Giamatti making an omelet and them eating the omelet, um, and, and you know, he he makes some for Prince as well, and they just sit there and eat. That's like the, it was like the rare, you know, properly just mundane human moment in all of billions and my i was watching my mum and she was like what we did what what's going on <laughs> it's just like mum this is the this is the departure man this is the you know that that one time where you just see them be normal you know what i mean and it's and it was refreshing it was a very interesting scene to to just think about and just just, just to watch it was very mundane um but Succession, I don't know, man. Like the, it's on. It's always constantly on, right? It's it's driving, it's driving, it's driving. It doesn't stop either, like Billions, right? It doesn't stop like any of those any of those films examples either. I don't think. I don't think it stops. Um, but it's just the characters are so weird. They're just so weird sometimes. It's just like, bro, like I remember, like uh, I fin- I said I said I'll finish off here, but let me I'm truly finish off here, right? There was one scene in season one where, like, they were about to coo him, right? They were, they were literally about to coo Logan, and, like, they had the board there, and Kendall was late, right? He was held, held up by traffic, right, admittedly. And everyone pussied out. Everyone pussied out. I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing here, guys? You had the, you still had the numbers. You still had the numbers, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it, just shit like that pissed me off, right? And there were so many of those moments, 
of just like something should happen but yeah just for the sake of it let's not have it happen because everyone's a pussy or everyone's just we- I, I, I don't know maybe I have to watch it again I don't know because my mind's just so torn about it because I love those kind of shows but and I love the music to, to death but I just can't get past it I can't get past the oddities of that show it, it seems unreal but not in a good way for me So hop into our sports segment and uh, we are talking all about Miss Elaine thompson uh, uh, two 100, 200 uh, gold medalist uh, from not just Rio 2016 but also for Tokyo 2020 um, and uh, you know she's the fastest woman in life um, you know uh, she's the second she's the second fastest woman in history um, she she I think she can break that shit next year um, at the world champs I really do think she could do it um, or maybe somewhere in the Diamond League, who knows? But um, she's just outstanding to watch, um, right? And uh, this is good. This is good. Um, just um, you know, half interview, well, basically an interview. Um, but you know, just a just a nice little piece um, from Mike Henson of BBC Sport. Um, and yeah, it's called Elaine Thompson Hera on taming the demons uh, en route to Tokyo Gold because the the I think the best yeah, the, the things we love about store uh, sports are the narratives, are the stories. And, uh, you know, it's hard in athletics to gauge that unless they've just been injured. Um, but for Lane, it was a lot more than that. It was, you know, it was just physical battles. It was also mental battles. Um, and I think, you know, all athletes go for mental battles as well. Um, I'm not saying Lane's, you know, completely unique in that front, but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's hard to, it's hard to contextualise unless they, you know, unless you saw them, you know, vocalising it. Uh, like some of them do, which is good, but... Anyway, let's just jump right into this article because it's a, you know, just a fascinating person. Uh, last summer, two weeks before the Jamaican Olympic trials, Elaine thompson Harris Achilles was hurting again. The injury had flared on and off almost five years, ever since she did the 100-200 double at 2016 Rio. The latest bout of pain was intense and the doubts bubbled up fast. She feared, as the tendons stayed tender, that she might miss the trials, ending her title defence before it had begun. As she rested and iced up her heel, she knew she had to fix something else as well. Quote, my mind was not in the right place, she told BBC Radio 5 Lives all about podcast. Uh, I had to change that talk in my head, unquote. Every morning, Thompson Herald would wake, pray, and read the Bible. She started listening to a particular spiritual. Anywhere you lead me, I will go, by Nigerian gospel singer Mercy Chinwo uh, on repeat. Her faith in God bolstered her faith in herself. But if the meek inherit the earth, a little more swagger helps an Olympic title defence. That's a great fucking paragraph. Love it, love it, love it. After every practice se- uh, session, she would reach for her phone, open up Notes app and write down and read out a series of affirmations. Quote, I will run 10-5. I will run 21-5. I can do it. I'm a winner. I am a champion. Began the list. I will be the fastest woman alive. Say it. Believe it. Work for it and pray for it. I will be the double Olympic champion. Today is my day. I am the greatest. It ended. You write it down. You talk it. You say it. And naturally, you will believe, Thompson Hera, 29, explained. Uh, plenty of others needed convincing as well, though. Thompson Hera had finished off the 100-meter uh, t- podium at the 20, London 2017 and Doha 2019 World Championships. She hadn't made the 200 final at either. In those Jamaican trials, she made the team for Tokyo, but only just. Thompson Hera was third in the 100 meters. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, the fastest woman alive, and the world champion was well out in front. Sharika Jackson, usually a 400 meter specialist, also finished ahead of Thompson Hera. But a month later, the scene had shifted. Thompson Hera ran 10.71, her fastest time in four years, her last race before Tokyo. She then trotted to 10.82 in her first 100 meter heat. She coasted to 10.76 in her semi-final. As she grew stronger, rivals such as Dean Rasher-Smith... Oh. Oh. The pain, the pain's coming back for me. Uh, Shikari Richardson, uh, Shikari Richardson, and Blessing Okagbare fell out of contention. Uh, the affirmations were coming to pass. A place among tracks and mortals awaited. If she can negotiate the final hurdle, quote, I was super nervous, more than normal, unquote. Uh, Thompson Harris said as she uh, remembered the night of the 100 meter final, it felt like I was going to explode. I could not wait to get into my blocks and just run. 
But first they turned off all the lights in the stadium and started to introduce all the finalists. They introduced lane 2, then lane 3, but then instead of me in lane 4, they skipped me and went to lane 9. I didn't know why. In the end, they left me for last. Then there was two seconds of silence and we were called to our marks. I told myself I cannot change anything or fix anything. One last breath and that was it, unquote. Nothing needed fixing. She burst through the line at the other end of the straight and sucked in the air. Uh, still Olympic champion and now the second fastest woman of all time. Only American legend Florence Griffith Joyner had got, ever gone quicker than Tom's Harris winning 10.61 seconds. And it could have been faster if it could it could have been closer to the 10.49 world record in the final 10 metres. Instead of pushing for the line, Thompson Hera raised her arm in celebration. A million times she laughed, uh, she laughed when asked uh, if she had watched the race back since. Uh, I could have run 10.5 if I was not celebrating. I didn't realise I'd done the pointing. I think my body knew I wanted to win so badly. If I could run it back, uh, run it back over, I would run straight to the line. Uh, that is the thing I could fix. The start was great. The transition was great. Just that last 10 metres, unquote. She didn't have too long to dwell on it in Tokyo. Three days later, she became the first woman to do an Olympic double-double. And she also defended her 200-metre crown. Again, she did it with a performance second only to Flojo on the all-time list. The small details, the self-belief, the training day grind. That's how Thompson Hera made history in 2021. But it's how she operated her whole career. She was a good junior athlete, but far from spectacular. She wasn't the best in Jamaica, never mind in, never mind the world. Quote, I didn't uh, win much when I was smaller. I wasn't going to international competitions, but I stood by the sport because of the love I have for it, she added. Uh, the love takes me to higher places. I wasn't the champion in high school. Other girls were faster than me, but I'm competitive, hardworking and motivated because of where I'm from, uh, where I'm coming from, unquote. Thompson Hare is ambitious for herself, saying she yet has she has yet to reach her peak shit. Uh, with world championships in Eugene and Budapest in successive summers, she wants more medals. And those world records are tantalisingly close if her injuries ease and she has a clear run at the clock. Uh, but she is also ambitious for a sporting event. The women's sprints are packed with talent, characters and subplots. Her start lists leave the men's equivalents in the shade. Facts. Quote, um, the ladies are coming out and performing and that helps me to run even faster, she said. Everyone wants to be on their A game. These ladies are putting on a fire this year, and I hope we can take it back again next year. We want to build our women's sport because sometimes it is always the men doing their thing. It is time for us to take over. Unquote. Whether anyone can overtake Temps and Hera is another thing entirely. And I think that's worth mentioning overall. Um, just the just the amount because I feel like there's a lot of sports, right? You know, um, you know, women's football, uh, basketball. Uh, I think those are good. I think those are good examples, right? You know, I think I feel like you know, there's there's a lot of um, uh, there's there's been a lot of interest towards both, right? Um, in WNBA, for example, and uh, you know, just women's football in general. Whether you want to talk about the WSL or just like you know, international women's football, uh, I feel like people are you know, they're they're coming, they're coming into it, right? They're coming, they're coming. It's not. It's not too. It's not too out there, but you know they're 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 warming up, and that's cool. That's nice. I think that's a great indication of a lot of things. Um, but guys, I don't know about you. If you watch these Olympic sports, man, there's a lot of times where the women are just taking it. Like they're just they're just far more interesting. Um, you know, uh, I find women's heptathlon more interesting than men's decathlon. I find uh, I find women's I think I find women's long jump and men's long jump. Uh, no, 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 women's long jump. I prefer women's long jump. I think that's better. Uh, women's and men's triple jump, I think, are pretty equal in terms of interest. Um, you know, sprints, it's not even a contest. It's the women. Um, I, I just feel uh, there's a lot of good men, like, stories, storylines and competition in uh, the in the higher distances. More about the middle distances, your 800s, your 1500s. Um, obviously 5,000, 10,000, steeplechase, yeah, that's always comp- competitive, um, you know, those 100, 200 men's, it's just lacked, and maybe it's because of the vacuum less left by Usain, it may be, but I don't want to say it's just that, like, you know, Jamaica as a whole in the men's side has just kind of fell off, like, there was a few, there was, like, a plenty of dudes behind him, you know, as of a power, I think, is now retired, Johan's still, eh, like, he, he's never really come back from 2012 form, um, what's boss man? Uh, what's boss man's name? Uh, Summit. Uh, damn, what's his name? He won like a he won like a 
big man. He won like a Commonwealth goal one time. <sighs> I forgot his name. He was like tall and lanky. I think he had a double barrel name. Um, oh, that's gonna that's gonna irritate me so much. Um, let me look up right quick as I talk. But yeah, you know, it, Jamaica Jamaican men is not really that that great right now. Jamaican men sprinting. The women's on the other hand, fuck, they got they can't they can't get any they can't get any more. Um, they can't get any more people. You know what I mean? They can't get any more dudes. Uh, uh they can't get any more any more women on that front. Uh, but yeah. I don't know, man. Like the, the men are just lagging hard, and it's absolutely crazy um, to think about. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's like you know. And I also don't really care about you know American dominance. I I encourage any other anything else but that. Um, you know, uh, my like I I talked about you know the men's GB sprinting disappointing me to be completely honest. So there was that too. You know, there's just it's just that, that case. But you know, going back to Elaine Thompson Hera. Um, you know, I think that's a great. Uh, I think she. I, I, I wish I. I wish I. I wish there was more follow up on just like how she came about. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about critiquing the actual articles themselves right recently, but here we are. Um, yeah, I really think. I really feel like uh, it's worth understanding more about when you're a sprinter or when you're just in athletics. There's a lot of times where you're just simply not dominant. Like most of the time, you're simply not dominant. Um, there, you know, there's there's minor cases, right? There's minor cases where you know they just come out the womb world records, right? You know, Mondo Duplantis in a, a pole vault. The dude's like 21, and he's already got the world record. Like it's just you you can't you not everyone can do that. Not everyone is that. You know what I mean? Um, so it, sometimes it takes a grind and i've seen elaine thompson here like in the past few years right i've seen her, i've seen her run i've 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 known her i've known her name for a while but it wasn't until 2016 until she just came fucking out and just bossed it um it was a shock in 2016 for me personally i was just like what like you beat shelly like fuck like no that was impossible that was impossible back then that was, shelly was such a link look it was such a look and then she beat her actually beat her again um but you know she's she's done the olympics twice and uh you know that's great i want to see her do the world championships now i want to see her get this world record i'd love to see this um i would love to see that her her story just continue um and it's i think it's a great inspiration for you know people that don't start off well like like she said you know she wasn't dominating high school she wasn't dominating uh you know at the start of her pro career it only took a it took a years um so you know it's all about that grind um, and it's all about that persistence um, and uh, that's just inspiration in itself so shout out to Miss Elaine Thompson here are, here are your flowers and speaking of flowers we finish with our second film and TV segment and this is all about Insecure, which is uh, in its final season, fifth and final season. It's already begun. I watched episode one last night, and uh, yeah, man, I, I just found this article. Shout out to Justin, Mr. Justin Tinsley, via the Undefeateds, coming through back with back out back over with another heater. Um, I think I uh, did his uh, Chappelle uh, Chappelle's thing as well. So yeah, he, he always comes out with some good retrospective heat. Um, real real thinking man's writer, I think, uh, in terms of sports and culture. Um, so yeah, he calls this uh, reflecting on the significance of Insecure as it heads into his final season. And while I don't think like Insecure has been like the funniest show of all time, right? You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like a barrel of laughs. It's unique in how it's like, you know, just portrayed modern life in LA. It's, been, it's very hyper-local, I think, and I find that interesting. Um, the lingo, you know, how they talk. Like a lot of the first episode in season, in season uh, the final season... It's so audacious, right? But it's it's authentic, and I love that. Um, I'm here for it. Um, it's different. Um, and, and yeah, so you know, while it's not like you know the best comedy going right now, or has been, um, it's 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 been very fascinating just from a storyline perspective, and just overall as an essence, uh, musically and everything else. It's it's great. It's a great it's a great vibe. Um, so let's get into this article because um. I'm running out of time. Uh, Neil Brown Jr., who plays the effervescent and supremely confident Chad on Insecure, 
uh, talks to me while he's driving to work early Monday Monday afternoon. Today he's head to a Los Angeles studio where the CBS series T- Seal Team is being filmed. But he's got a few minutes to chop up uh, about a myriad of topics. Uh, the first of which is recapping the Los Angeles Chargers 34-6 beatdown by Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. After about five minutes of discussion where I admittedly didn't help the conversation in, Brown gets us back on track. I so insecure, he pivots. Let's go. Uh, Brown remembers God speaking to him to do the show, not in some overtly religious tone or some grand life-saving, super dramatic chain of events, but it was a moment that changed his life. He'd originally read for the role of Lawrence, but didn't get the spot. Brown said he felt away at first because he was drawn to the nuance and care being put into the show and knew Lawrence, the role that ultimately went to actor Jay Ellis, would be an instant hit. As fate would have it though, the show called back and wanted him to read for another role. His his role? Uh, Lawrence's best friend, Chad Kerr. Quote, The character was familiar, and because, it's vernac- and because it's the vernacular he uses, it was really familiar, Brown said. The only thing is, he talked so fast and everything was non was non-sequitur. Uh, but I knew the guy, I knew pieces of him, dot dot dot. It was very refreshing, and it was even shocking to read something and immediately see these people that I knew growing up, but never seen on television, unquote. That's, a, that's exactly what I was talking about in the beginning. Great sum up. Uh, I can say the same for myself, truth be told, it's Tinsley. Um, I have lived more situations the show has presented, give or take a detail here and there, than I'd care to admit. That's what's made the series so special. Insecure created its own archetype of what blackness looked like on screen. Not one executive unfamiliar with the experiences should see, touch, taste, and feel. In a recent interview with the New York Times, Issa Rae, Insecure's creator, revealed the goal of the show was never to portray black folks in our most grandiose form. The goal, Rae said, was to, quote, elevate regular black people and make us look beautiful in our regularness, unquote. Insecure has been a runaway success for that exact reason. That ability to see the nuance of happy hour conversations, microaggressions at work, with white colleagues, uncomfortable dinners with former flings or romances, confusing calculus. Uh, These mundane intimacies became a must-see. Those were the same daily realities that Hollywood's white gaze had largely failed at capturing in an authentic way. It is a representation that can't be mimicked unless you lived it. The bumps, bruises, heartbreaks, breakthroughs and everything in between. It all mattered because what started as a show ultimately became a mirror. The show debuted in the final weeks of Barack Obama's uh, presidential era and begins its final season as the world battles the crippling effects of a still-ravaging pandemic that has killed nearly 5 million people worldwide. Yet, even in the midst of characters' chaos, there was, a, uh, there was security and comfort. And there was an invitation to invest in the show and laugh and be angry, confused, and, when the time called, emotional. The characters never had anything figured out because none of us do. And in uncertainty lived a comforting sense of confusion. Think uh, Molly's largely self-inflicted dating woes, Issa's search for clarity in her professional journey, or even Lawrence's conundrum with the women in his life. Women in his life. The characters have been their own worst enemies at times because Lord knows we all are. Insecure provided the entire crayon box of emotions that came with being young black, uh, young black women and men in a world that was constantly telling us to fight for the value of our own lives. The black experience has always been rooted in community. It's how we've thrived. It's how we've survived. It's how we've kept what little bit of sanity we've felt uh, we've had left at times. And it's how we, uh, it's how we changed our realities. Just as important as the show itself uh, has been the community it created. For me, the show will always, always be a generational heirloom. I often think about how much my life has changed over the last half decade. When the show started, I was 30, single, in my first year back on the East Coast after a, a year in LA, uh, seeing many of the sights and hearing so many of the sounds that made Insecure so culturally rich. Back then, I was still in the early stages of my career. I had no clue if I would turn out to be worth anything, or if I'd be back living with my mum and grandma. Now I'm 35, happily married, and living in a house with my name. Two things I thought wouldn't happen for years. Shout out to you, Tinsley. Shout out to you. When I asked Brown what he wants fans to remember about Insecure, he said, quote, We took the strongest pieces of the shoulders uh, that we stood on from the past and then allowed it to have natural evolution and give people the breath and space to make something truly honest and hilarious, unquote. Throughout the last five years, Insecure has represented a culturally safe space my peers and I could depend on, celebrate and debate. All the show owes us itself, really, um, now is a proper send-off. There's too much care, too much time, too much investment in the last five years to go out sad or leave anything on the table. At least, that's what I'm telling myself. 
Ezekiel didn't reinvent the wheel when it came to shows detailing the black experience, but it managed to give a familiar tyre new treads. And I think that's a perfect way of summing it all up, as it actually, in terms of what the show is. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not anything new, right? It's not like uh, there hasn't been, uh, you know, shows about, uh, you know, black families or black people just living it up, right? Um, there were plenty of those in the in the nineties, especially for the Americas. Lucky them, right? Um, there's plenty of th- there's plenty of those kinds of uh, th- those kinds of shows that you can that you can reference, right? But the way these guys did it was, um, you know, from a place of just authenticity and, um, you know, just uh, just not overthinking it, you know, not being too extravagant about things, right? Um, you know, there's there's probably there's probably many shows that we can reference, right? Um, you know, I can reference, and you guys can probably reference for yourselves, right? That are that that we relate to, you know. Um, whether it just appeals to an interest or, um, you know, the main character is like, so like me, right? I think, I think some of us, not all of us have had those moments, right? But Insecure does something different in that it's, it's, uh, the the word mundane isn't like the word that comes off derogatory, but just like, just the regularness, like, like, you know, like the article mentioned, the regularness really just makes it, um, I, I, honestly, I prefer just the general mundanity. Is mundanity a word? The mundanity. I think that's, I'm, I'm one of the two. Um, mundaneness of the, of the fuck. I'm making it worse for myself. Uh, the mundane nature. There you go. Of the world, right? I prefer that side of insecure than the actual stuff that's supposed to make me laugh, right? And obviously, there are moments that make you laugh. Um, and make you chuckle, right, and make you emotional, but I just, I prefer the, I prefer that middle ground stuff, man, I really like it, um, that's, that's usually where I find the, that's usually where I find the enjoyment of it, um, and, you know, those moments where they're just, where there's just two people just looking at each other, and they're just, you know, trying to figure out what the fuck to say next, you know what I mean, sometimes you're just in a conversation that's like mad deep, uh, for whatever reason, you're just like, fuck, what do I say now? <laughs> do I just leave? Like, you know, it's just, you, you, you have to think it through. And, uh, you know, most of the time we don't when we actually go through it. We have a script in our head, but we never go buy it. You know what I mean? It's a, I like that nature of this. It's it's very fascinating. It's a very, it feels unscripted, but obviously it's not. You know, you feel you feel the scripted nature of it, but you also don't when you just, when you just allow yourself to immerse. And I love that. I love that bit, but I love, that's what I love about Insecure. I love that mundane, mundane nature of it. Um, you know, the most extravagant episode I think was probably either the the block party episode last season or uh, Jay and Issa, uh, not Jay, Lauren and Issa's, um Well, technically Jay and Issa because you know Issa's still Issa. Um, you know, they're 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 basically I don't know what you want to call it. They're just like uh, their link up. Uh, you know, that was very visually striking in a lot of ways. Um, and obviously the block party was very grandiose in terms of just the scale of it, and you know how you know had Mine uh, acting like a dumb du- dude bro, and uh, you know, I think Vince Staples was uh, performing there as well, or something like that. I think that was the, the thing that was the storyline. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, even with that, it came off as real. You know, someone wanted to do like community work. You know, it's just, I can see that. I can see that as uh, as Issa tries to do, and in a place like LA, it's probably quite hard. It's probably it's probably quite hard to do. Um, you know, I guess as like a minor just thing, I wish the show did more. Um, and it did, it did in parts, but not all the time. Is like um, just comment on LA itself. You know, they did a couple of times, like you know, during the first few seasons, where was, uh, you know, especially the first season, they uh, they had a lot of commentary on gentrification. Um, you know, I think through season four as well, they had, uh, you know, some commentary on that in terms of Issa trying to sort other blog party and get, you know, funding and all that kind of stuff. I think that was, you know, that was kind of a comment on uh, LA-isms. But, um, you know, I kind of wish they did that more. Uh, and I guess the lift stuff is part of that. You know, you can't... I, I don't... If, I bitch about having no having barely any public transport. That place, boy, you can't survive without a car. You're either car or walking. And you could be a bus person, but, you know, it's not reliable. Um, but, yeah, it's just... 
it's 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 a fascinating thing. Um, but you know that's just me nitpicking. I just like when shows do that. I like when shows show the world as itself and comments on that living, breathing nature of it. But um, you know, that's that's not that's not. I'm not I'm not gonna downgrade the whole show. How I feel about the whole show just because of that. Um, I love the show. Um, I've been enjoying it since day one. You know, apart from the fact that, you know Skylandic have been bottling it from fucking showing it you know they showed one season like eight months later after the actual uh, uh, like all the episodes came out and then they showed it i was like what the fuck's your problem what, what, what the hell what, what, what you, you ain't got you ain't got a slot you seriously ain't got a half hour slot during that time you're taking a piss anyway so yeah fuck sky on that front uh they're finally um you know showing it not simulcast but they're showing it like a day after the night after the stakes or two nights after which i can accept right if it's like a week within a week I can live with that, right? But they did it, like, literally after the series ended. I was like, you're, you're fucking me off. Anyway, um, shout out to Insecure. Shout out to, all, shout out to all the people that made that show possible. Man. That's, um, it, it's a great achievement um, to have a show that's, you know, very that's literally a cultural landmark, I think, for African-Americans especially. Um, and uh, that's, that's something to celebrate about, um, I feel. Um, even, even though I'm not an African-American... Um, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate it for what it is and for the purpose that show serves. And, you know, I hope we can get something of that nature here um, and get that support, not just here, but, you know, from maybe America's as well, hopefully, someday. Who knows? Uh, well, who knows what that show will be? Hopefully it's one of mine. And ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there. From the 5th End Podcast Network, I have a child telling it's been most good. Injury music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find his link in the full show notes. Thanks to Joel Breakers for Busy User Track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. Shout out to Nappy Hire for the abilities charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>